Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Mac Dominic continues his look at the deceptive apostasy growing in churches today. We are only a few weeks away from our first Clarity to the Chaos Conference of 2023, February 17th and 18th in Niceville, Florida. Speakers include Doug Stoffer, Dr. Larry Spargimino, Greg Patton, Larry Stam, Micah Van Hus, and Josh Davis. Reserve your seats today by visiting the events page of our website, swrc.com, or give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. And be sure to check out the full schedule of this year's conferences, swrc.com, and then click on Events. Here's our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, and his guest, Mac Dominic, continuing their look inside the New Paradigm Church. We're back with Brother Mac Dominic, and we've been speaking to him about his book, Outcome-Based Religion. And of course, we've noted that the megachurch movement has taken the evangelical world by storm. Sounds kind of good, but what are some of the weaknesses? What are some of the failures? What's the dark side of the megachurch movement, the church growth paradigm, and so on and so forth? So we're going to continue uh, speaking to uh, Mac. There's no way that we can cover everything in the book. You will want the book. Once again, Outcome-Based Religion. Mac, so good to have you once again. Oh, it is always a pleasure. Well, we've been visiting about what is a true church, so how about What is the definition of apostasy? Let me take a journey into my past here. When I was 12 years old, I was a member of a major denominational church. I'm not going to call the name of the denomination, just to be kind. And our church was one of those that it was really more of a club than a church. My dad became a member of the board in that church, and he became a Sunday school teacher. And he noticed the Sunday school literature from the home office that he was getting that he was supposed to teach did not necessarily agree with what his Bible said. My dad was not even born again at that point in time, but he realized that something was not right. That's amazing. And so he started teaching his Sunday school class from the Bible, uh, and it didn't take too long for him to be fired as a Sunday school teacher because the church hierarchy said, you can't do that. You can't Mm. teach from the Bible here. You've got to teach what the home office sends us to teach. We as a family went from church to church, and it took probably about six or seven years, but eventually everyone in my family was saved. And we ended up as independent Baptists. Now, that doesn't mean that as an independent Baptist, that means I'm automatically saved. It just simply means that I believe that Baptist doctrine and Baptist teaching aligns with what the Bible teaches. And that's why I call myself a Baptist. But the place we came from were organizations that we termed apostate. Now, you will not find the word apostasy in the Bible. It's not there, but the teaching of apostasy is very prolific in the epistles of Paul and in the epistles of the New Testament, and basically apostasy is defined as the nature of a body that has turned their back on the truth. 
whether that would be a church denomination, an individual church, or even an individual that professes the doctrines of the Word of God, that professes to be saved, that professes to follow the teaching of the Word of God, if that body, church body, that denomination, or that individual turns their back on that teaching and says, I no longer believe the inspiration of Scripture. I no longer believe that Jesus Christ was God. I no longer believe that I have to be born again, that I have to trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to be saved from my sins. I no longer believe that, and I'm going to propagate a different teaching or a different gospel than that person, that individual, or that body, or that church is officially apostate because apostasy is a turning from the truth to another teaching when you compare it to the Bible, turning from the truth to error or to lies. And that's what apostasy is. And we saw that. We didn't see it because I don't know that anyone that I know was alive in the early 1920s. But you go back into the early 20th century is when a lot of this started happening, when major denominational bodies started denying the cardinal doctrines of the scriptures. And you got the, uh, the groups that met, like the Niagara Conference, that laid out the five points of fundamentalism. And there was the great battle between modernism and fundamentalism back in the early 1920s. And when the Depression came along, a lot of people turned to God because they'd been trusting in their wealth and their money. And we had a great rise in the teaching of the Word of God. Through the 1930s, Bible colleges were established. There were the Brush Arbor revivals that went on in the, in the late 30s and the, in the early 40s during the early days of World War II. So we saw, but we saw the beginning of serious apostasy in the major denominations. And then in 1948, several quite significant events happened. We had the formation of the modern state of Israel, which was quite a major event for Christianity. But then we had the formation of the World and National Council of Churches, right. which was a group that touted apostasy and denial of the, of the cardinal doctrines of the Word of God. Then we had the formation of the National Association of Evangelicals that said, we want to believe the fundamental doctrines of the Word of God, but we don't want to be associated with these fighting fundamentalists that, <laughs> that are so just determined to fight every little objection that comes up. We want to leave science to the scientists. We don't want to debate things like the age of the earth or the, the reality of the flood, which in effect they were saying, we don't want to debate the inspiration of Scripture. We don't want to say that the Bible is inspired and everything only in passages that deal with salvation. So they started their own school, Fuller Theological Seminary, to become a stronghold of the evangelical left. And they trained and educated people like Dr. Rick Warren, who graduated from Fuller, and these folks that started the megachurches. And that's what happened in the early 20th and the mid-20th century. And, you know, as a result of that, in the early to mid-1960s, where we had all the Vietnam War protests going on and the 
sexual revolution and all of the cultural things going on, independent Baptist churches became the largest growing churches in the world. Those churches were growing quickly. People were getting saved. There was what we might call a revival, but as the 60s rolled over into the 70s, the revival lost its fire and things went downhill in a hurry. Being born in 1951, I personally witnessed a lot of this and my dad was a big follower of Dr. Carl McIntyre, if you, and I'm Larry, I'm sure you know that name. Yeah. He was a big follower of Dr. McIntyre, but even Dr. McIntyre's philosophies led to the demise of true Bible-believing churches and led them down a road that ended up in not too good a, a place by, by the late 70s. As we look at things, even today, there's a continual degradation a continual erosion. We who are in churches, whether we're just a church member or a pastor, we need to realize that there is this degradation. For example, we just look at the definition of marriage. People play uh, footloose and fancy free, and they make marriage to be whatever they want it to be. There are people who are talking about going back to polygamy. There are people, uh, well, I won't even get into the kind of sexual arrangements that they're talking about, but this continual degradation, it's like a, a piece of metal rusting or a good piece of wood rotting. And what we see is a rotting of uh, the Bible doctrines that you're speaking about. And, and let's face it, if you have a, a beam that is rotten, what's going to happen? The roof is going to fall in. And I think that's exactly what's happened with so many churches. The roofs have fallen in. We no longer preach Christ as he's presented in the Bible. We no longer have marriage. And as a matter of fact, you know, Mac, 13 nations in Europe, I just did a report on it, who are very left-wing, but they are now disagreeing with the Biden agenda. They're saying, hey, we all know that there's only male and female. Can you imagine Sweden, Norway, Denmark, France, Switzerland, all these very left-wing groups, and now they're saying, hey, there's only males and females. So America is now not, not putting out the, the gospel, but we're putting out erroneous, destructive, damnable ideas that are going to sink this society. I'm shocked. And so are you, of course. But we, we see well, this. Yes, and, yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you know, Larry, I, I'm sorry, I know you're on. Uh, yeah, I'm you're, getting you're hot here. But, there. I, apologize. <laughs> I apologize. But, but you know, we can lay that at the feet of the church. Yes. Uh, because we, and I'm looking in the mirror here, we have not done our job. Amen. You go back, again, you go back to the 1960s, and you look at the 60s radicals. These are the folks that were into hallucinogenics. You and I know, Larry, that one of the ways to access demon influence in mm. your life right. is hallucinogenic drugs. Amen. And the conservatives thought they defeated these people back in the late 60s, but all that really happened is that these folks decided to take a different tact. They became college professors. They became media moguls. They became politicians. And they have worked, they worked that agenda through into the mindset of the average citizen. And when you have a church that does not teach doctrine, 
that embraces the modern culture, that does whatever it takes to make you feel good about coming to church, then you end up with people that are members of your churches that have been brainwashed in these worldly philosophies, and you end up with the issues that we have that you're speaking about here. Right. You're, you're so right. In fact, a couple of years ago, there was, um, I don't know if you know of Dr. Everett Piper. He was the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University in Bartlesville, northern part of uh, Oklahoma. I think it was his dean. His dean preached on 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, you know, the, the agape chapter. It was just an ordinary thing. And one of the students was offended. Can you imagine? I mean, First Corinthians thirteen is the is the least offensive chapter oh, yeah. in the Bible. Oh yeah. But the student said, "I felt that I was singled out. I was made to feel I'm an error, and so on and so forth." Well, Doctor Everett Piper has written a book on that whole thing, and he starts and says, "Does this student think that maybe you should come to church to be convicted of your selfishness?" Well, that's the idea of preaching. When we hear the Word of God, we say, Lord, have mercy on me. I I need to fix this in my life or that in my life. There's nothing wrong with that. Why do we think we always have to feel good? You know, when we come before the glory of God, we need to be convicted. But I I don't want to steal the thunder here, but these are things that make me very unhappy. So let's talk a little bit about what does it mean to be living in the time of a paradigm shift? Alice Bailey wrote about it. Rick Warren says we need a new paradigm church, we need a new way of thinking. But the reality is, when we look at what is going on, the prophecy of the Word of God, of the coming Antichrist, the coming tribulation, and those things that are going to take place during that period of time are in their birthing Hmm. right now, and maybe in their adolescence for all we know, because we... We are not going to set dates for the rapture. That's the last thing that we want to do. But what we have to understand, and when we look at all the things that you've just been talking about, you look at Joe Biden, and Joe Biden has come out several times and said, there's a new world order out there. And and basically he's saying a new world order is coming. He's using those terms, and he's saying, I want to run it, and I want to run this new world order basically is what President Biden has been talking about. And we know from the Word of God, one of the major characteristics during the tribulation period and the reign of Antichrist will be a one-world government and a one-world religion. We are caught in a situation today, you know, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, what has happened to us in the last years since 2016 with the election of Donald Trump in the United States, with the folks in France that are rebelling against the globalism there, the new lady in Italy that is the new prime minister, all of these populist movements around the world, the globalist faction that is marching to the drumbeat of Satan has in full-on panic mode. Things were going along really, really well in the United States. If Hillary Clinton had been elected, boy, it would have just been a smoother (laughs) transition to follow the agenda right to a one-world government. 
But with all these things, they're now in full-blown panic mode. And what was called piecemeal functionalism that was laid out by Richard Gardner in 1973 in Foreign Affairs magazine has all of a sudden become a full frontal assault to bring about a one-world government. And there is a chapter in the book about living in the time of the paradigm shift, but has advanced so much since that point in time. We are living and witnessing the frantic reaction to populism around the world by these globalists who want to bring about the one-world government of Antichrist. That's what we're facing on a daily basis with all this nonsense that's going on. I'm glad you mentioned that because I do believe that there is a an awakening in America. I did not vote for Joe Biden. I voted for Donald Trump. However, I think Joe Biden was, was um, well, he's, he's God's final warning to America. I'm serious about that. I think, I think that's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> but what's so good about it, a lot of people are starting to wake up. Now, when I think of revival in the end times, I don't think of smooth sailing. I think of a battle. Because as the church grows, as there are some people who are rooted and grounded in the faith, I think Satan's going to be in a rage. And that's, you know, we have a church and a school in Pakistan. I was privileged with with starting that. There are about five or six minorities in Pakistan, but the only ones that are really being persecuted is the Christian or the Christians. Why is that? Because they're doing their job. They're telling people about Jesus. So. I see a revival coming, and it doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing, hunky dory. And I think there's going to be a, a more of an intensification of evil. I think Satan is going to be a, in a rage. Why? Because we're opposing him. We're fighting him. People are becoming aware of the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these demonic imps that even inhabit the White House. And hey, that's a good thing. I am so glad that you are an author who's done things like this, that we're doing the same thing, we're ringing the bell. It's time to wake up, to get into the fight, and hey, there are souls out there who need to hear of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Mac, I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm just getting excited because I love you, brother, and I love the book you've written. I think you've got the right idea. The book is Outcome-Based Religion by Mac Dominic, a great book. There's more in it that we, we could even cover, but so much of this impinges on what is happening in our society right now. This is a volume that you need. Mac, thank you so much, and thank you for doing a tremendous job. Thank you, Larry. Let me just say, to sum up what you said, this is not a time for wimps. It's time to take a stand on the Word of God and be going about our Father's business. Amen to that. God bless you richly. You too, sir. Both days of Mac Dominic's presentation here on Watchmen on the Wall is now available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Outcome-Based Religion, the new book for Mac Dominic, embarks into a thorough investigation based on a historical as well as a scriptural analysis that penetrates surface facades and reveals growing deceptive apostasy. Outcome-Based Religion, Purpose, Apostasy, and the New Paradigm Church by Mac Dominic. It needs to be part of every Christian's library. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. 
That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. Ask about free shipping when you call 1-800-652-1144. Larry Stam will be speaking at many of our upcoming Clarity to the Chaos conferences. Today, he's here to share more biblical insights into how you and I can effectively and boldly share our Christian faith. In previous lessons, we've been talking about the fact that evangelism is a process, a heart issue, and a team thing. Last time, we spoke about the reality that evangelism is a team thing. Remember, Jesus, when he called his first disciples in Matthew 4, said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At the end of his earthly ministry in Matthew 28, he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, and lo, I will be with you. In Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses to me to the ends of the earth. So we've got the Spirit working in and through us. The Lord is with us, and we work also together in the evangelistic process. I mentioned last time on my journey of faith, there were three significant individuals that God used to bring me to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. How many in your life to amplify and illustrate the fact that evangelism, yes, is a team thing? Tell you a story as we transition and talk about the gospel message today. I want to tell you one story about the fact that evangelism is a team thing. So I was a missionary to my Jewish people in New York City for six and a half years. After that, I served on a local church staff in Johnson City, Tennessee. I was involved in missions and outreach, and I'd been serving there a couple of years. And a friend of mine named Larry another missionary to my Jewish people. He was living in Washington, D.C., but spent some time in New York City where I had been serving. He'd visited New York. He called me in Tennessee, and he told me this story. He said, Larry, there's an ultra-Orthodox Jewish man who got saved recently, and he wanted me to send you his regards. And I was like, really? Tell me his name. I didn't have a ministry to a lot of Orthodox Jewish men in New York. Most of the men that I witnessed to and discipled were conservative, reform, or they were secular. I had a ministry to a few Orthodox Jewish men, and I could name you a few of them. And I said, what was his name? And he said, so-and-so. And I said, I don't recognize that name. Did he have any other name? And he said, no. I said, I don't know anybody by that name. He said, well, he knows you. And I said, are you sure it's not another Larry? He said, no. He mentioned Larry Stan by name. He said he wanted to thank you for your witness to him. And he has now taken off his black hat and his black coat. And he's going to church on Sundays and has been baptized and is walking with the Lord. He wanted to send his regards. I didn't even remember this man. And the reason I'm telling you that story is because it's interesting to note that I don't even know who this person was. I can't remember them. I remember several Orthodox Jewish men that I witnessed to, and like I said, I could give you their names because I could put them on one hand. That's how few a number of Orthodox Jewish men I actually had personal visitation with going to their houses or apartments or visiting them regularly at coffee shops or at parks. I now want to transition into talking about the most important message in the world 
As you know, I've told you I was a tennis coach for 14 years. I like to say for 14 years, tennis was my racket. You're probably listening and thinking to yourself, good thing he is a minister and not a comedian. But you know, in tennis, the most important thing you must do is you must watch the ball. Watching the ball is the imperative in tennis because if you don't see the ball, guess what? You can't hit the ball. When we think about the gospel and the spiritual realm, the gospel message is the most important message in the world. It's interesting to note that in our 21st century, we are saturated with information. We are bludgeoned and bombarded with messages all the time. And we must cut through the clutter in our own lives to be able to hear the word of God, to be able to know what God's will is. And the reality is we also need to cut through the clutter so that we can effectively share the gospel message with people. Because if we don't get the message right, our message is going to be muddied and muddled, and our audience is going to be confused and confounded. We don't want that. We want to be able to clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And so in this lesson, and in the next couple of lessons, we're going to briefly touch upon the most important message in the world, the gospel. What is the gospel? We're going to talk about that. But first, I want to say what the gospel is not. The gospel is not your story or my story. The gospel is not our testimony, in other words. Now, our testimony is an important part of our Christian witness, make no mistake. But the gospel message is not our story. Also, the gospel is not a bed of roses. When you're sharing the gospel with people, we need to be careful about presenting the reality and cost of believing the gospel and following Jesus Christ, and we'll get more into that as we go. Finally, what the gospel is not is the gospel is not a self-help tool. Jesus is not the panacea for all our ills. He's not going to make all our problems go away. But Jesus Christ is the answer, and the gospel is the message that meets our greatest need, the need for forgiveness. Remember, Jesus even said the gospel would divide even families. So that's a little bit about what the gospel is not. What the gospel is is this. The foundation of the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul wrote, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That, my friends, is the foundation of the gospel message. And the implication is that forgiveness and a relationship with God is made available through Jesus' sacrifice, that the Scripture is true and reliable, and that there is hope not only in today, but there's hope for tomorrow. And there's hope beyond the grave. Next time, friends, we're going to continue to unpack the gospel message and the implications of believing it and rejecting it. Until next time, friends, the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Shalom. Today's featured resource is Mac Dominic's new book, Outcome-Based Religion. 
outcome-based religion embarks into a thorough investigation based on a historical as well as a scriptural analysis that penetrates surface facades and reveals growing deceptive apostasy. Order your copy of Outcome-Based Religion today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. Tomorrow, we continue our study series from Steve Butler, Why Explore Bible Prophecy. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com dot com.